You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. When you try to fill the <laughs> shoes of the almighty Brandon Jaggers, that's like putting on a pair of 15-size shoes when you only wear 10s. Brandon Jaggers. Why, why does this Brandon Jaggers name sound familiar? Is, does he work janitorial over on the front side? <laughs> And me, CC brought us. But, but what does he actually do? I mean, you know, what is he, other than, you know, being a ho- one of the hosts on your show? I'm not really sure. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Auxiliary Gate number 135 on the first day of March 2023. Coming to you live, or excuse me, not live, but uh, almost live from the great state of Kentucky. And I'm joined by Alan Schneider. What's up, my man? How are we doing today? It's like 74 degrees outside. I think it's getting ready to tornado as well, too. But Yeah, we're getting ready to get a buttload of rain, and it's coming soon. And tomorrow's going to suck. So, is it? I haven't looked. What's well, low 60s, but it's going to be rainy. So, it is. The weather's a little bizarre around here, but I guess everybody can say that, right? Uh, Brandon Jaggers is going to join us later, allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, I look forward to seeing him as always. Let's get into some light banter. That's that's what uh, the first when you do these shows. That's what the first part's t- supposed to be, right? So we like to follow the script, the narrative. Well, yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna crescendo our way up to to the peak. When we don't talk as much as the guest does. That's the peak. That's the, the peak is when this is over. Yeah, but here's the valley. That's what I've been told. Yeah, here's the valley coming up. What's your favorite part of a chicken? What? What's your favorite part of a chicken? Uh, the breast. I like the, the thigh. The, the thigh, the nape. I was, like the th- I was publicly shamed this week by a friend of mine who, when I told him I liked, I preferred thigh to to the breast or the wing or leg. I didn't know that was a thing. Is that is that is that bad to, to no. enjoy the thigh? Here's the, here's the thing. Growing up, my mom would always make fried chickens and she wouldn't she didn't bone it. So the, to me the chicken I would always bone the chicken breast. As I've gotten older, you know, chicken breast became the, the thing and then it was chicken wings became a thing. And now chicken thighs are a thing. Boneless chicken thighs, which I love are a thing now uh, the weird thing is all those things used to be inexpensive now they all cost a fortune i remember di- i remember buying dime wings at the bar now they're like a dollar 29 on special per wing but uh yeah boneless chicken thighs they're they're a thing brother yeah that's they're, absolutely they're, right uh but smoking. yeah i was shamed i was publicly shamed because i like chicken thighs like i i'm no no longer invited to this guy's house Really? No, I've, yeah. I, actually, those those are growing in popularity to the fact where if you go to the store, you you notice boneless chicken thighs cost almost, if not as much, as a boneless chicken breast. Yeah. So, well, they taste better. Well, I mean, just gonna say, they're, they're I'll die on popular. that hill. They're gaining in popularity. I think you might. I think you might win this war. So. Hey, you almost right. ate me out of house and home the other weekend. <laughs> oh look! Oh, my gosh, Brandon joined by the legend, the beautiful Brandon Jaggers. He's joined us. Brandon, how are you doing? Great guys, I'm sorry I'm bringing up the rear here, but I got some important information uh, about Craig's eating habits. So Craig was on tour on assignment, taking 
going around Lexington, t- checking out some workout facilities of horses. And lo and behold, he winds up at my house. And he's like, oh, I'll be there in 30 minutes, but I need a ribeye and some sides. And I'm like, what? You know, and I got a wife and kid. They don't know what's going on. I'm like, I guess Craig's coming over, and he wants a ribeye. So I ran up to Fresh Market real quick, get him a, a, a nice dry-aged ribeye, 28-day age, because, you know, he only likes 28. And then, you know, lo and behold, I get here. Craig's already here. He's holding my baby, and she's freaking out. It was it was a travesty, but we 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 survived. I filled up Craig. Good. And um, I forgot what happened that night. Let's just not remember it. And we're moving on to today. That was a fantastic ribeye. Damn right, I cooked it perfectly. You did, Kirk. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. I was, I enjoyed it. Only the best for you. Now, Alan, you know, I know you don't drive past 5 p.m. in the evenings because you're old age, but <laughs> that's true. You, I was at Tony Boobaz. I wasn't that far away. Well, another time. It was your birthday, so I apologize. But you every time it. Craig comes in town, it's his birthday. Every time. Damn right. Let's transition into horse racing. I got uh, something I want to get off my chest. Please do. I was playing uh, Gulfstream. I was playing Exactas. This is a pet peeve of mine for just about every racetrack. When they flash their Exacta matrix. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. Are they, are they in $1 or $2 denominations? You never every know. Every stinking racetrack. They they make you guess. I don't think they're all uniform, right? Some are two dollars, some are one dollars. Is that you know, am, I, am I wrong you, in this? I have noticed, and I, sometimes I think in the shorter fields, they'll put the two dollar payoff, like, and and then maybe the bigger fields they put one dollar. Maybe I'm imagining that, but uh, you're right. Sometimes you have to look, and if I don't have my reading glasses on, I'm like, well, that exactly sounds small. Oh, because it's a one dollar denomination. I just looked at this track. The previous race, and they were in two-dollar denominations. There's no consistency there, and I don't particularly like it. Like I get what they do with pick fives and pick sixes. They'll post the wheel pays in dollar and two-dollar increments, make it look like the payoffs bigger, and then you gotta uh, bring yourself back a little bit, right? Um, but for the matrix, for a probable, they should all be uniform. If it's the minimum bet was, I guess they say the one dollar is a minimum bet. But, I mean, we all know we all go by $2. When we're thinking this way, we're going by $2. So, yeah, and that bugs the living hell out of me, too. I am with you there. And yeah, I'm yeah, sure like, we're, not, we're not alone. We're not alone. I mean, they show the 50-cent pick three and 50-cent pick four if that's if they're ending right there. So, I mean, why not show the minimum, which is a $1 exacta? But, you know, once again, I always want to revert back to our sponsor, Twin Spires. You want to look up the Probables and Twin Spires apps. And on the website, and you'll get the accuracy that you need. You can't trust these other tracks and jurisdictions. Remember, we're a Kentucky horse horse racing podcast, not right. Florida. <laughs> that's that's true. <laughs> but Brandon, you're the king of giving away free advertisements. That's right. Yeah. No wonder we're broke. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Should we tell everybody about filing our taxes today? <laughs> no, <laughs> let's not get into that. No, because I didn't. I didn't even understand it. But <laughs> off air. But you're right about the matrix, yeah, and I'm sure everyone agrees with that. To make it uniform, so I don't have to think and and at a snapshot, I know what's going to pay and stuff. Because you know what what an exact a probable is going to pay depends on how what you, like personally what I'm going to bet. So if I if I happen to look at it wrong or misgut misjudge it, you know, because I'm used to seeing one denomination, then that kind of ticks me off. So I'm with you. All right, enough of that. Let's get into uh, this weekend's racing. 
before we bring our guest on. Uh, you probably want to be on your couch if you enjoy the sport like I do. You want to be on your couch between, say, 2.30 and, and 7 o'clock because this is, this is going to be about as, as action-packed as you'll see outside of a Breeders' Cup weekend between Santa Anita and, and Gulfstream and even throwing Aqueduct and Turfway. Uh, three, I see three derby preps this weekend, probably led off by the Fountain of Youth on Saturday at Gulfstream, uh, $400,000 race. It's going to feature the return of the two-year-old champion and the Breeders' Cup Juvenile winner, 4K. And then on the undercard, you're going to have the Kentucky Oaks winner, Red Carpet Ready, stretching out to a mile for the first time. And that's going to be a, a, a fun race. And then you got a supporting cast of just turf horses and uh, and, and just the, every every possible race you can imagine. I think Gulfstream's got like ten stakes races on Saturday. Then then Aqueduct's got the Gotham Stakes, and it, it drew a field of fifteen, an oversubscribed field of fifteen. It's a flat mile, and another three hundred thousand dollar race. That that race is going to produce some Derby points. And then, of course, Santa Anita later in the day is going to feature the Santa Anita Handicap. But also on that undercard is a huge field. I think there's 11 drawn for the San Felipe Stakes, which is mile 16th, $400,000 affair. And uh, Tim Yachtin, who's going to be in the news a lot, I think, over the next eight weeks, is going to saddle five horses in that race. <laughs> and a handful of them come from the Bob Baffert barn. So Yachtin is going to be the center of attention going forward in California, I do believe. And and let's not forget Never Saturday at Turfway is the John Battaglia Memorial, a right of spring. And that features again an oversubscribed field. And then under the undercard is the Cincinnati trophy going a mile for three old Phillies. That's a prep race for the uh for the Bourbonette later on in the meet, and then on to the Kentucky Oaks. But uh, my question to you guys, first of all, uh, I've heard of the Cincinnati Trophy Stakes for a long time. They've been running this race for a while. What the hell is it? What's it made of? Who holds the Cincinnati Trophy? What's in it? Oh, uh, if it's the Cincinnati Trophy, I don't know the answer to those. I'll say Pete Rose. Is it made of cheese? Huh? Is it made of cheese? Cheese, a Skyline's filled with chi- Skyline chili, perhaps. Is it a bowl shaped, yeah, shaped know. like a bowl and, and contains uh, Skyline chili? Or uh, was it? Is it John Morrell beer? What's the big beer up there? I can't remember. Is it John Morrell? Or am I thinking of the food? I don't know. Is it uh, maybe Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxhall hold it? Well, the late Joe Nuxhall. Um, I'm trying to think of everything, all the Cincinnati references I can, real quick. Uh, is is it a picture of the Eiffel Tower at Kings Island? Uh, we can go on and on. I, Speaking of beer, you ever had Fall City beer? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, Fall City is kind of like the chicken thighs we were talking about earlier. Fall we, City used to be cheap beer. They you reconstituted it. You were around for the original Fall City? Oh, yeah. I'm old. Yeah. I, I, my uncles <laughs> and people that hung out in the day used to drink all this. So they beer cans or cheap old Fall City cans. But now, all of a sudden, Fall City got reconstituted. And now it's more like a crap beer. And it's good. Don't get me wrong. I, I used to work with a guy. He said that he would drink... He drank a six pack of Fall City and it would make him. You, you could. Yeah, that's what you're going to say. That's back in the day. It's not like that anymore. Not like that anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I kid you not. I'm drinking a Mickey's tonight, a little hand grenade beer. Mickey's. Mickey's. That's a long standing malt beverage. It's very oh, good. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like a little king. That's right. But this is a Mickey's. 
I know what you're talking about. Irish baby. Who, who do you, uh, is anybody, well, first off, you said till 730. Let's give Turfway some love. They've got a great card. I mean, I, I, I'm going to be more interested up to about 845, 9 o'clock in the day. Yeah, that runs. Price is stretching out to, to maybe yeah. 9 o'clock. Yeah. I like Accident and Bromley a lot. Accident runs his race at, at Turfway every time, gives a ton of effort. He's getting a good spot. I love the five hole for him. But Brahma's got a ton of class in that race. The rest of the horses I gotta look at, but this, accent, that's just tough. Accent accent runs his race no matter who he's running against. He can run the Arc de Triomphe and he'd run third and get a paycheck. <laughs> well, so. okay. That's okay. He deserves a third. I mean just the I third. Mean, I, he's a fun horse. He's a fun horse. I talk, easy to pull for. But no, he's probably not gonna win that race. It's it's a pretty loaded uh field. The horses coming from everywhere, some local horses that look good. And uh it should be a fun race. All right. Well, yeah, looking forward to that. It's going to be, like I said, it's going to be a great weekend of action. Oh, one more thing, though, about Turfway. Yeah. Let's give them – everybody likes to criticize horse racing. I don't get into a whole lot of that stuff or whatever, uh, but I always like to look at the pauses on a lot of things. How about Turfway fixing their camera? I mean, they didn't just fix it. They perfected it. They've got one of the best cameras in the country now. they got the slow-mo camera that's deadly accurate. So, yes, they had issues with their cameras, but you got to give credit where it's due and people get their things taken care of. And now they, they've elevated their game with that camera. So if you're going to knock them, you got to pat them on the back too, right? Yep. Yeah, that they did. They did the right yeah. thing there because yeah, that was very aggravating. We we I was on the wrong end of a lot of photos. Mm-hmm. And because yeah, because the anger the the original angle was so bad. But it's good now, here. Brandon. I've had enough. I've had enough. But now <laughs> that guy gets the Eclipse Award and Gary Palmisano. You got to give him credit. He listened and responded. Yes. And it's and I don't think there's any other track in America uh that does those types of things. There's tracks in Kentucky that make the changes for the betters. Bring your money back to Kentucky. Yeah, and I will tell you this, you know, people criticize all this stuff around here and it's easy to criticize. Uh there's a lot more things more important in the world to criticize than there is about horse racing. That's what I, I always get a kick out of like, man, my God, you people are going crazy about horse racing. You know what else is going on? But the flip side of that is we brought up some issues and people have fixed them. That's all you can ask for, right? So I, I do tip my cap to them. 100%. Okay. All right. On to our guest. And I believe we're going to have her right now. Uh, you know, one of the great things about the sport of thoroughbred racing is that there are many facets of the game that you get, can get lost in. The actual competition itself, the pageantry, the gambling, and even the breeding equation. Our guest this evening is a pedigree savant. She currently serves as the content manager for Little Blue Bird Stables, and she writes her own blog as well under Hawkstone Bloodstock. We would like to welcome Jessica Tugwell to the Auxiliary Gate. Jessica, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you all doing? It's been a good day so far. Now, the rain's coming, but uh, we, it, we, we've actually had good weather for at least 12 hours today, for the first time in a long time. We'll take it then. <laughs> yeah. So business first, Jessica, uh, talk to us about Little Bluebird Stables. What is that and what do you do for them? Yeah. Little Bluebird Stables is an ownership group that focuses on uh, basically playing at kind of the value levels of the sport. We focus on claimers. We focus on horses that, you know, we kind of say, like, if someone wants to spend $125,000 on a on a two-year-old, we'll take them when they're in for 30 Like, and it's still a nice horse. 
and we're going to just try to win races, kind of brand ourselves as just kind of we're a group of gamblers who are trying to have a good time at the racetrack. We're not out there to win the Kentucky Derby. We want to keep, you know, entry points manageable for people and stuff like that. So that's that's Little Bluebird kind of in a nutshell. And I feel like uh, the philosophy just fits really great with kind of the way I like to approach the sport. Where could you find a Little Bluebird runner right now? What track? Um, we've got a a couple of them. We have uh, String and Laurel. We have Breon and um, Wild Behavior just got claimed from us, but Bo Brown should be coming back soon. We have Our Country in Florida and um, a couple others around the um, around the country right now. We're currently forming. We're looking to claim a horse in April to head to Saratoga. We're going to get two horses, kind of trying a new format where you can get in on two horses for um, just one share of both horses to kind of try and mitigate risks that we're aiming for Saratoga with that partnership. We have a couple of two-year-olds coming up. Who are your trainers? Um, we have Lacey Gaudette. We have um, cool. Randy Morse and God. Mark Hennig. Yes, Mark those, are okay. our, those are our three trainers. That's a mixture of uh, young and old, I think. Randy Morse has been around a long time. Lacey Gaudette's uh, a big uh, big name. Or the Gaudette name is big in, uh, in the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so tell us about uh, you've got a substack too, right? Uh, uh, Hawkstone Bloodstock. Tell us about all that. Yeah. So I had a um, a little blog for over 10 years, uh, bettertalknow.wordpress.com. It's still up. But um, at the end of last year, I started kind of getting a few more clients and um, just a little more uh, people seemed to be paying a little more attention to what I was doing, you know, like on Twitter and stuff had more people reaching out to me for advice. So I decided that um, it was time for an upgrade. So I started um, the Hawkstone Bloodstock Substack at the beginning of the year, and it's been going really well so far. I was, you know, I was like hoping that maybe in the first six months I could get 100 subscribers and people can pay um, $5 a month or $55 a year to get extra um, bonus content. I do biweekly free posts and then biweekly um, paywalled posts. And I thought, oh, maybe, you know, I'll get a handful of people that'll want to pay. And I already have um, over 20 people that are paying for it. So that was that's been really exciting and cool that people seem to value the work I'm doing there. And I mean, I've definitely put a lot of time into it. So. How do you uh, this this is a dumb question, which I have a lot of, but uh, bear with me. So when you deep dive into into a horse's pedigree. What tools do you use? I mean, are you do you like uh, the the nicks like those those uh, grading scales where they, like they'll give a a, a nick or like an A plus A plus plus? Do you do you use that kind of stuff? Um, a little bit. So like nicking, I think it's um a useful tool, but it's a little bit reductive when it comes to you know you're just basically looking at the sire line and the damn sire line and that's it. Um, I really like the platform Grade One Gold Mine. Um, they, in, with that platform, you can search basically horses in any quadrant of a pedigree. Um, and I think that's a little more useful because, you know, for instance, um, like the Curlin more than ready cross, I think has like, it's an A plus plus on Trunix with three winners and five starters just by Curlin out of more than ready mares. And you can expand that though using grade one gold mine and get, 20 starters, which include, you know, say, horses that are out of a second dam by More Than Ready, which is still curling over More Than Ready. Um, and I just think that's a little more useful. You can also then search, for instance, um, if, say, like, there's certain 
I'd really like to look at inbreeding and line breeding patterns. And grade one goldmine makes that really easy because you can search just any horse in the top half of the pedigree. I think it goes back eight generations with any horse in the bottom half of the pedigree, and it'll give you all the runners and results with that combination. You find that a, a horse's fourth, fifth, sixth dam is relevant when you do your work? In the way I look at it, yes. I definitely know plenty of people, um, you know, they, you know, first three generations, that's really, if, if that are all that matter. But the way I look at pedigree is that in a lot of ways, we're, thoroughbreds have a lot of, it's the same genes that the horses have had, just being recombined in different ways. And there are certain um, genetic elements, like I focus a lot on female families because um, uh, in genetic inheritance, mitochondrial DNA, which uh, mitochondria is the part of the cell that converts food into energy, that is inherited matrilineally and remains unchanged uh, through the female line. So you can know with like recent genetic testing, we've been able to, you know, quantify which, uh, determine which certain families have which mitochondrial haplotypes. And so that is a constant that you can look at in a pedigree. So I think that that's, um, I think that that's something really valuable and interesting. And it seems to happen. It seems to be useful, a useful tool for, uh, finding nice horses. Do you ever have you found a a dam way back in a pedigree that that you can trace back to that has produced a lot of stakes winners even six or seven generations away? Like I know a lot of the breeders back in the eighties and nineties like to go back to La Troyenne. That's I was about to give that exact example. She's okay. had four of the last five, I believe, um, two year old champions have traced tail female female to her. Tail, tail female. So that tail female is the very, very bottom of the pedigree chart, right? That, Correct. You, Mother right? to daughter. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So La Troyenne yeah. is, would, say that again. You, La Troyenne is, is what in the last several champions? Four of the last five um, champion two-year-old Colts, um, oh. Eclipse champions. Game winner, Essential Quality, Corniche, and Forte all trace tail female to La Troyenne. Wow. What other... The powerhouse mares have you come across that that like maybe like a personal incident? I know she raced in the late '80s, but it, I mean I, I know she's uh, she's in a lot of nice uh, nice stakes winners over the years. Oh yeah, you get a lot um, from personal ensign. Um, you know, Lassie Deer, the dam of uh, Weekend Surprise, who produced AP Indy, also the tail female ancestress of horses like Summer Squall, um, recently Happy Saver. Um, that's a mare that I always like to see. Um, there are some other ones. Quiet Dance is probably one of the most um, popular brood mares right now as far as um, she's the mare that produced uh, St. Liam and also the Dam of Gunrunner. So she's she's a big deal. Her son, Fantastic, seems to be off to a really good start at stud. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, what uh... – like do you, I assume you do work at the sales, right? The the November sales, the the broodmare bloodstock sales, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, what percentage do you think of buyers use this type of information when they when they try to uh, build their broodmare bands? Uh, that's really hard for me to tell. I honestly just have no idea. It's not something I really see anybody talking about that much, really. But I I would assume people. 
Huh. I know I'm not the only one who looks at it, you know. <laughs> that would be a service you would offer, though, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. That is okay. a service I offer, and I've I've done work for people before, you know, like if, you know, working for a client who was looking for mares to breed to a specific stallion they had a share in, I went through the sale for them, um, kind of did an analysis of the stallion. These are the lines that I would be looking for and gave a few examples of the mares in the sale that fit that profile that I thought would work for them if, you know, provided <laughs> – at that point, you have to look at the horse physically. If you don't have the horse physically, then the pedigree means absolutely nothing. But Where did this fascination with lineage and stats and crosses and all that come from? Well, that's been pretty much my entire life. Um, in fifth grade, I taught myself. I learned about horse color genetics. And, <laughs> okay. Um, wow. <laughs> I, would, I would write out, um, you know, like the, the genetic code for um, different horses, you know, like, okay, so – if they have two of this, then they're going to be a chestnut, but they only have one, they're going to be a, a black horse, but he also has the bay gene. And if you were to cross this horse with another horse, then this is the color of their, you know, pretend baby. And then we'll pretend that we have another horse over here who's this co- has these color genetics. And then we'll say that the baby inherited this from that one and that from this one, and that's the color of that baby. And I would just have pages and pages of pretend horses and their color genetics. <laughs> and that was just what I would do for fun. I ain't crowns. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, let's talk about a few Kentucky Derby contenders. We'll pass it around the horn here and let, let the other guys talk a little bit, but I want to, I want to lead off with the confidence game who won the $1 million rebel stakes this past Saturday. He's trained by Keith the Sormo. Horse, as Keith the Starwell tends to do, he finds these uh, relatively inexpensive purchases. He, I think, he gave twenty five thousand for this one. But the the pedigree is very, very interesting, and uh, I'll let you expound on this. But I mean, this is a son of Candy Ride out of a a, a mare that has a, a, an intriguing uh, family tree. So I'll let you, uh, I'll let you talk about this horse. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited about Confidence Game because of his pedigree. I actually got to see his dam at Louisant in person, um, which wow. he ran in the Chuvi. And I've I've never met Zenyatta in person, but I had to think that that like seeing a Bluisant had to be like the next best thing because she just had this regal presence to her. She wasn't nearly as good of a racehorse as her dam, but a lot of times you kind of see that that um, these really good mares. A lot of times it's their sisters who end up carrying on the line. Um, so that's really exciting. He also just has some really fascinating um, line breeding, especially when you're looking at female families, because he comes from um, female family 4R, which is also the female family of horses like Warfront. Um, and he uh, is – sorry, I just lost my train of thought there. But uh, he's from female family 4R by female family 13C's Candy Ride. And what's interesting is that families 4 and 13 actually are genetically uh, the same family when it, you're looking at their mitochondrial DNA. Um, so I think it's really interesting that you have two talented horses who you know that their nuclear DNA works with their mitochondrial DNA, that the combination in some way works there. And so then you're bringing them back together, which in, you know, in theory, it's I definitely have no concrete evidence of this. But, you know, in theory, bringing those different factors together, you're going to get a horse that works with that mitochondrial DNA. And it goes back even further than that because Candy Ride Sire Ride the Rails and a Bluisant Sire Bernardini are actually both from the same branch of Family 4, Family 4M. 
um, and Ride the Rails of Sire Crypto Clearance is also from that same um, female line 4M, which oh. basically means that they all go back to um, the same distant mayor. Um, I'm trying to pull up my reference sheet that says who that mayor is, but I cannot at the moment. Uh, but they go back to the same mayor deep in their pedigree. In this case, it's a fairly deep um, connection, except for Ride the Rails. Um, his third dam is also crypto, crypto clearances third dam. So that's a pretty close um, inbreeding to that female there. But Okay. All right. Let's back up a little bit. You're going to educate me on this because you, you call it a, a family, a 4M, and a 4 and a 4M. What, what does all that mean? Oh, gosh. Yeah. So there was this guy in um, the late 19th century, I believe, Bruce Lowe, who looked at the winners of all the classic races and traced back their – female lineage as far back in the stud book as he could and then grouped those families by the number of winners that they had and then numbered them. Okay. This is family one, two, three, four. Um, okay. I don't remember exactly how many he came up with at first try. There's about uh, 18 or so with a few other outliers that tend to be really relevant today. And then the, um, the letters are just um, branches of that family when another mare Kind of later researchers, as you know, certain mares lines became more prolific, they would designate um, a specific letter for that horse. Like La Trian is one X. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so when you look at a horse like Confidence Game, I, I, I would assume no doubts about this horse's ability to get ten furlongs in May. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't question that with his pedigrees. I think he's. I don't think that's a problem for him at all. <laughs> I'm just looking at his. Chris S. Forley. There's a lot of a lot of distance in his uh, dam side. So yeah, yeah that's, uh, exactly. And this horse is yeah. He's built for ten furlongs mm-hmm. and more. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's let's uh, let's hand the uh, baton on to the, to my pals here, uh, guys. Uh, anybody want to want to toss some horses out and let uh, let Jessica analyze uh, and examine the, their uh, their lineage? Well, sure, I will. Um... But first, I wanted to go back. Uh, we'll get to the pedigree here in a second because I'm a pedigree moron. I, I admit that. Uh, but I wanted to go back to something she mentioned a moment ago. Your blog used to be called. Did you say the Better Talk Now? Better Talk Now blog or what was? Yeah, it was just BetterTalkNow.wordpress.com. It was. Just and kind so of- <laughs> when we were talking off air, you're, you're in Texas. We should mention you're in San Antonio, Texas, but you come from Maryland. Yeah. And I'm guessing because of the Better Talk Now thing, you're a fan of Better Talk Now up, up from that region, uh, what, 15 years ago, won the Breeders' Cup turf twice. Is that fair to say? Uh, he only won it once. But, no. uh, okay. but yeah, he was the horse. That was the race that got me into racing. Um, I was 11 years old, and I saw a pretty black horse, and I wanted the pretty black horse to win, and the pretty black horse won. And that was basically it. I was already, a, you know, a horse kid. So, after reading the Black Stallion, I was like, wow, I love horses all of a sudden. And, uh, yeah, it was not a phase. And is it your favorite horse of all time? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. I had a feeling. Easy one to fall in love with. Easy one to fall in love with. Uh, well, let's talk about a couple of pedigrees because, again, I am somewhat of a moron in that regards and other regards as well, too. But uh, I want to ask you about. Yes, I agree. Yes, I, I thought I would get some affirmation on that. Um, two derby horses and one hopeful three-year-old let's start with arabian night okay 
Arabian Night is by Justify, and I see, I think the damn sire is astrology. Is that? Am yeah, it's by Uncle Mo and out of an astrology marriage. I'm sorry, Uncle Mo. And it's, it's, isn't, wasn't astrology a turf horse for Shug McGahey? No, or, Steve or Asmussen is a Steve dirt Asmussen. horse. He ran the Preakness for Steve Asmussen and uh, uh, Stone Street. Okay. Well, what do you think? Well, give us a little something about Arabian Nights. I guess at the moment he's the pro temp favorite until until we see what Forte does. Uh, what do you think about Arabian Nights? Well, I think he's definitely done nothing wrong on the track so far. He's shown everything you want to see. I'm a little iffy about um, about whether 10 furlongs is going to be his best trip. Really? Being a son of Uncle Mo. Um, not that they can't get the distance, but just that I don't know if that's going to be where he really thrives. I feel like nine furlongs is probably more what he really wants. But – I wouldn't necessarily, you know, I'm not going to toss him off my tickets, provided he keeps doing what he's been doing. I wouldn't disclude him from being able to win the Kentucky Derby in, you know, a race where at this point half the horses aren't bred to run a mile and a quarter. I don't think into mischiefs are really bred to run a mile and a quarter. There will be plenty of them in the Derby, and, you know, he's proven he can get a winner at 10 furlongs. But um, I'm really, I really like the bottom half of Arabian Nights' pedigree. He comes um, from another really big – uh, female family, and uh, so that's really fun. He's um, same female family, very distantly. His horse is like affirmed and ghost zapper. Um, but I really like astrology as a broodmare sire. Um, he has some really interesting female family stuff going on because um, he himself is out of is he's by AP Indy out of a quiet American mare, so he's bred mm-hmm. on the same exact cross as Bernardini, who everyone knows is a great broodmare sire. Um, one of the cool things about um, Quiet American is that he's inbred to his tail female line, um, just like Ride the Rails, Candy Ride Sire, um, because his third dam, Sequilo, is also the third dam of his sire, Papiano. And interestingly, um, astrology goes back to that um, same female family as well, except um, his seventh dam is the – um, fifth dam of Quiet American and Fabiano. So it's wow. just a little further removed, but it's all that same line uh, from that mayor hostility um, who was by man of war out of um, a really nice um, herself from a really nice female line because her second dam plucky liege produced the four really talented stallions, Admiral Drake, uh, Bulldog, Boyd Roussel and Sir Galahad. So it's just a huge family, and I think that there's something to be said for horses with these big female influences as dam sires. I don't really know what that would be, whether it's something X-chromosome linked or just a coincidence or something, but um, I feel like you tend to see that a lot. Um, you and Caitlin Free really need to hang out. <laughs> just, you, you guys are pedi- – like CC said earlier, you guys are pedigree savants. Um that brings me to the well, another horse that I am personally interested in. I got a bit of a soft spot for going back to last year when I saw the horse running Kentucky Downs and has yet to let me down. That's Red Route 1, who I don't think gets a lot of respect. I think people have a tendency to – and he may be a one-run closer at a shorter distance. I, I don't know. But I'm curious if you think, based on his pedigree, that he can sustain that kind of amazing kick that he has shown repeatedly – at a mile and a quarter. 
I think he should be able to. I think Gunrunner should be able to get, you know, a router. He's out of a mare by Tappet, so you can, you know, who's had, what, three Belmont Stakes winners? So, and his dam is actually a full sister to Untappable, who obviously never went 10 furlongs, but was a good eight and a half, nine furlong horse. Uh, so, and he reminds me a lot of Gunrunner, Red Wa- yeah. Route 1 does. A little more of a closer than Gunrunner, mm-hmm. but just the way he's developing, he really has that same kind of feel. Like a lot of, Asmussen usually ha- seems to get these kind of horses who who build up to those big races that don't necessarily come out looking like superstars, but evolve into superstars. And I think uh, he could be one of those. He could be. Do you see him being a threat on Derby? I think a lot of people want to dismiss him because I, they probably missed the boat on him uh, several times, but he just keeps firing, keeps running big. And uh, would you, would, would you, at this point, it's early, provided he stays good, he stays healthy. Could you see that horse being a contender on Derby day? Absolutely. I think he's exactly the kind of horse who will, is almost guaranteed to hit the board or, you know, run maybe fourth with at a pretty good price. Cause I don't, I mean, unless he really steps up and wins big, then he'll be, he won't necessarily be a price anymore. But if he keeps putting in these kind of runs where he's just, just not quite there, not quite good enough. Um, I think he's kind of the kind of, a really good candidate to be sort of a wise guy horse in the dirt when the dirt yeah. comes around. You can make a lot of money off being able to determine who the underneath horses are. It's just, it, it's, People have a tendency for you. You don't have to always pick the winner. You got to pick the horse that just runs in that one or two spots, and he's a prime candidate. Um, and we'd be remiss if anybody knows anything about this podcast. We are the unabashed Michelle Level fan club here. She's a friend of ours. We think very, very highly of her, which means we think very, very highly of Damon's Mound. Uh, you have done a deep dive on Damon's Mound in the past. We get to see him run this year, but give us a brief synopsis on our own personal wonder horse in Damon's Mound. Oh, yeah, I love this horse's pedigree a lot. Lots of people were talking, oh, he's really very modestly bred. And he is, but he's also brilliantly bred, as far as I'm concerned, if you're looking at female family inbreeding. For one, he has that, um, he's from Gervin, who is a grandson of Tail of the Cat, who is a half-brother to um, Johannesburg? He's a half-brother to the Dam of Johannesburg. Um, okay. And he's out of a mare by Stroll, who is a son of Pulpit. This um, Johannesburg over Pulpit gave us Justify, this line breeding to um, this mare Narrate, who is the second dam of both Pulpit and Tail of the Cat. Um, So via Tail of the Cat's dam Yarn, who is the second dam of Johannesburg, and Pulpit himself, uh, we got Justify. So... That's a proven cross that works. And in addition to that, he has um, interesting in, inbreeding slash line breeding to um, his grandsire, Tail of Akati's female line, because Tail of Akati traces back to the mare uh, Stick to Beauty as his fourth dam. And um, Stick to Beauty was out of a mare called Hail to Beauty, who is the second dam of the prime minister, who is the dam sire of Damon's Mounds, second dam. So you have um, that mare, um, Hail to Beauty, in the seventh and fifth generations of Damon's Mounds pedigree. And then you have the great mare narrate in the fifth generation on both sides as well. So there's a ton to like there. He also happens, um, just incidentally, to come from the same female family um, distantly as Tappet. Yeah. 
So what do you see uh, from a distance limitation different? Uh, what is this? What's the limit or what do you see being Damon's best distance from that pedigree? Do you think is a mile and a quarter a stretch? Is a mile and eight doable? What? I think that a mile and an eight is definitely doable. I think a mile and a quarter is probably a smidge too far especially because he hasn't really shown the ability to really relax in his races. He seems kind of keyed up through most of his races, um, especially, you know, like his most recent start. So he would definitely have to learn to relax a little more, I think, in order to get a mile and a quarter. But I do think that generally it is more about a horse's mentality than their pedigree and their physicality when it comes to their ability um, to get her out of ground especially with the fact that most horses today aren't bred to excel at 10 furlongs, that a horse with a good mind can absolutely overcome what would look like distance com- uh, limitations on paper. But you believe this horse has the ability, provided he comes back uh, the way he we, we believe he'll come back, to be brilliant at some distance, right? He has the possibility to be brilliant at a mile, mile and a 16. Exactly. I think he's going to be a really nice miler. Um, I think that that would probably be his – Real uh, sweet spot. I could see one turn mile. Turn mile. I think he might even be able to get two turns if they can. If they can get him to relax, I think that's a big thing with him. But you know, get him to relax without taking away what makes him good. Yes, I think that's very well said. Uh, If everybody can get a relax, Michelle get him relax. Michelle can. So we were anxious to see him return. So uh, with that said, let's kick it to Mr. Jaggers. Yeah, I mean this is super interesting. I just want to. Tell everybody, and I put this on Twitter, that I'm now a new subscriber of Hawkstone Bloodstock. There you go. There <laughs> Thanks you go. so much. We were do- I was doing that while we were talking. So a little bit more, I wanted to ask more about your background. So, like, when you went to college, what did you major in? Um, I actually didn't go to college. I, I did a few. I graduated high school early um, and then went to community college for a few semesters and hated it as much as I hated high school. So I just didn't do it anymore. (laughs) I did when I, the few semesters I was in community college, I was a speech communications major because for a while I wanted to work. um, I wanted to be on TVG. I did some work for them. Um, When I was uh, 15, they, uh, I was a guest a couple of times there. That season I got to be on set at Pimlico with uh, Ken and Matt which was a really cool experience. And then for uh, the 2015 Triple Crown, I actually uh, got to be a production assistant for them during the Preakness and the Belmont, so that was really exciting. So uh, for a while, that was kind of what I wanted to do. And then um, since then, I've kind of drifted more toward pedigrees and less toward handicapping because I'm a terrible gambler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, which is why I wanted to be on TVG because I can sound really smart talking about the races. Yeah, <laughs> I would literally, right a friend of mine, and I would, would go to Charlestown, and I would handicap out loud, kind of tell him what I thought of a race, and we'd go make our bets separately. And without fail, he would leave the track with money, and I would lose everything. So that's <laughs> me as a gambler. <laughs> it's all about talking the talk a lot of times, right? Talking mm-hmm. the talk. Well, you know, I, I think it's super interesting in what you do and how well you know it and, and how you've already just applied some of these tools to – express what you, you know how what the facts are the bloodlines you know on the pod tonight and not fascinating uh, stuff it, it's very fascinating and you're right it but it, you know everyone it when they go to sales typically or i don't know if they even look at it during many claims but they would look you know they go through all the family lineage and and date back and all i mean it, it's very fascinating so i 
I'm going to kind of leave it open a little bit and ask you, you know, over the next couple of weeks, you know, any kind of horses that maybe that have not, that you've already mentioned one tonight. Uh, I think it was red route one, like who, who didn't, or who's still kind of on your up and comer list. As they say about myself, I'm still an up and comer, but I'm 43. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that somebody like a gambler like myself, like some of our listeners should pay attention to, uh, whether an aqueduct racing or maybe Santa Anita. I've got one at Santa Anita I'd like to ask you about, but you, you go for, you go first. Well, I haven't really been honestly following the, um, Derby trail as much as usual the last few years, but I, was looking at some of the pedigrees for the horses running this weekend, and I figured I'd mention Slip Mahoney. Um, oh. He he has a really interesting pedigree, just based purely on the fact that um, he goes back to that Lachlan family. Um, he's by Arrogate, who obviously seems to have been a really nice sire that we probably lost way too soon, sort of a scat daddy type of scenario where we lost him after just a couple of crops, um, and then he exploded. Um out of the AP Indy Mayor Got Lucky, who was herself a grade one winner. Um, this is a direct female family that has produced, is in from his third damn Get Lucky. We have Kentucky Derby winner Super Saver and Kentucky Derby runner-up Bluegrass Cat. So that's a, a really big pedigree there. Um, so I'm curious to see how he does. He hasn't really shown a whole lot yet in his career from what I've seen. But um, I'm, I'm interested in him. He had a nice maiden coming off a nice maiden win, so maybe he's starting to figure it out. Uh, I'm curious, but I'm not willing to say he's even going to make it in the Derby starting gate. But he, his was a pedigree that caught my eye. Interesting. Well, uh, the one I was looking up, it caught my eye. I think it was one of these Twitter things. You know, only had a one or two starts. Uh, Ruby Nell is the horse and it's going to be racing. I'm so I cannot believe you asked me about her. I Come made a blog on. about Come her. On. Um, which she was the bolt Oro rich love Philly. So I made a, right. I have to pull it up. Cause yeah, she, I did a post about Keeneland September bargains back in, um, when was that? That was oh, October 7th, bargain. 2021. Uh, well, she was, $85,000 at that sale. Uh-oh. This was yeah. before she yeah. then went on to sell for $1.2 million as a two-year-old. Right. She was right. my top pick from that sale based on her um, pedigree. I was limiting it to horses who sold for um, less than the uh, sale average, which was like $132,000. So for $85,000, I um, yeah, I picked her out. Uh, picked, oh, don't you wish you could have put the eighty-five down for that? Wouldn't that have been nice? Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, and pin hooked her for one point two million. That's yeah, true. no. I am so I am very, very hopeful that she ends up being a nice horse so that I have bragging rights there. Although I kind of already am yes, proud you enough do. that she went and pig pin hooked uh sold for one point two million. That's a great call. That's a that's a great find, Jessica. That's a great find. Yeah, so I'm I, that blog post has actually aged incredibly well. Uh most of the horses have Every horse that has sold again sold for more than they sold for as a yearling, and quite a few of them have already broken their maidens and look like they might be pretty decent. So I'm I'm very pleased with how that post is aged. That was on the old Better Talk Now um, uh, WordPress site. That's amazing. But yeah, no, I'm I'm very excited about Ruby now. I have I can't believe you asked about her. 
Do you have anything else that's coming up this weekend that we should be taking a listen to or look at on PPs or, you know, we love Turfway. If you find something on Turfway, gift us something. <laughs> well, at Turfway, I actually, um, well, I technically just got bought out of my percentage, but um, I have a couple of horses with Elvis Trujillo, and these are not these are not good horses, but keep an eye out. Um, Kader, Q A A D E R. I know the horse. I know the his horse. last race. He, um, you know, I don't like to blame jockeys, but we didn't get the ride we were hoping to get in that race, going a mile and a quarter. He um, kind of fought with the jockey early, uh, behind a very slow pace, and. He's a grinder. He's yes. he just runs his race, and I love this horse. He hit he lost by less than a length at Colonial Downs at like 110 to one or something. Yes, yeah, runs his odds. I know the horse. Yeah, that was that was my that was probably the most exciting moment as an owner. Um, that and uh, you know my the horse that I the very first horse I advised uh, for a client. Um, I advised the purchase of a mare to breed to Uptown Charlie Brown, and that horse, Alta Fox, finally broke through with his maiden victory, so that was really exciting. But I think maybe even better than that, I just looked at the chart. Kader was 121 to 1 and <laughs> lost by three quarters of a length at Colonial Downs, just rolling home late. And he's this horse, he just always outruns his odds. People always underestimate him, and he always just puts in a run, with the exception of that last race where he kind of got a little, uh, he just wasn't happy, a happy horse throughout that race. Yeah. yeah. So and but you know what? After that, he is going to be a huge price again next time. So that's true. He's a the great horse. horse Throwing your exactos, trifectas. So for our listeners that want to kind of uh, follow you a little bit more, and now that I've I've purchased, I think I did one month. So you got one month to shine and impress me. And if I could bring some of this knowledge home to maybe hit a nice score, I'll tell you what, I'll sign up for years on end. <laughs> But uh, so how can you tell us like how somebody wanted to, you know, ask your advice or or what type of uh, information you send out monthly? Can you describe a little bit of that? Yeah. So um, I can be reached. The easiest way, honestly, to reach me is on Twitter at uh, Starry Day 93. Um, But I also, you know, I can be reached by email Jessica.ray, R-A-E dot Tugwell at gmail dot com. Or just straight uh, at Hawkstone, um, I think it's HawkstoneBloodstock at Substack.com also works, um, gets forwarded to me. And the blog is um, kind of a combination of things. We ha- I have my free posts, which are have mostly been talking about, um, so far it's mostly been like upcoming derby prospects versus that just won races. Um, I did a little post kind of going a little bit, I talked about Arabian Night, but I also talked about it was mostly about like underrated broodmare sires since he's out of an astrology mare. Cyberknife is out of a flower alley mare. Kind of talking about how these stallions who didn't really make it as stallions in Kentucky um, are still can still be really nice broodmare sires. Um, my upcoming post is going to be talking about um, uh, a specific broodmare that has had a lot of success lately who, um, you know, I think is going to become more influential uh, to Cheek uh, recently, most recently the fourth dam of Olympiad, but there's tons of others uh, horses that have been recently uh, impressive that I'm going to talk about that trace tail female to her. Um, and then my, my paid posts are a lot more in depth stuff. Things like um, 
I've talked about uh, Flame Away as a stallion and kind of did a deep dive on him because I'm very excited for him as a stallion. I think he's really fascinating and kind of has the just all the ingredients you want for a stallion. I also um, kind of talked about the Spites Town Medaglia d'Oro cross, um, which is a really prolific nick and the reasons I think that works um, based on their pedigrees. And then my most recent post uh, earlier this week was about um, sort of quote-unquote female family nicks, which, uh, you know, nicking is the affinity of a stallion line, you know, sires from one sire line with mares from another sire line. Um, and that the way that there are certain stallions who seem to do really well when they're combined with certain female families as a kind of um, the other side of that. For instance, like Warfront has uh, four grade one winners from his direct female family, and he produces 52.5% stakes horses, horses that either want or place in a stake from female family 4R, which is his female family. And uh, that affinity even seems to extend a little bit to um, mares who have other stallions from that family, like Carson City. Um, People have talked for a long time about Warfront with Dynaformer, who's from the same female family as him. So that's uh, kind of what my most recent post is about. I also talked about looking at Lucky with his female family and uh, Constitution with Family One in general seems to be um, an early pattern. It seems like it might be developing there. So, so do, do clients of yours that that some that that want a little bit more interaction and things? Will you look at uh, you know from purchasing side to the gambling side as well? Um, I really honestly, like, as much as this is probably not the answer you want, I don't think that pedigree plays a huge role in gambling for the most part, in handicapping, um, unless a horse is trying something for the first time or you're looking at a first-time starter. Like maidens, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think those are the only times, you know, like when I'm handicapping, I might glance at a pedigree normally, but I'm not going to put a lot of account into it, um, especially when it comes to, is this horse going to win this race? I don't think yeah. that pedigree is really a good tool for to answer that question. It can sometimes give you a good idea of a horse's potential when they're young. Um, and, again, things like distance and surface changes, it can be interesting and helpful. Um, and in that case, a lot of what I would look at is just the direct, the dam's produce. Not really going as deep into, um, you know, different crosses and things when it comes to just, is this horse going to win this race today? Um, I think that's really a lot more useful for things like, um, you know, clients buying horses or choosing or breeding horses or maybe for things like future wagers that if there's horses that look like they're going to improve, uh, you know, with age, you know, like the Curlins tend to it seems they tend to get a little better with a little more racing, a little more conditioning, things like that. But um, I definitely do not give betting advice. <laughs> gotcha. Well. Uh, CC, turn it back to you. Okay, well, I got a thousand more questions, so we might as well get started. So, <laughs> Forte runs this Saturday in the Fountain of Youth. That's the defending Breeders' Cup Juvenile winner and the two-year-old champion. Looking at his pedigree right now, along the dam side, he he traces back to uh, some nice Francis Ginner runners. And Francis Ginner was the uh, the owner and breeder of Unbridled, who won the 1990 Kentucky Derby. I look at these these names. I see a lot of seven furlong, one mile influences. Uh, what about the prospects of Forte going 
a mile and a quarter. He's another one where I think um, I think nine furlongs is probably his best game, but um, he just seems to be the kind of horse who is so professional, and he seems like a horse who has a really good mind on him. He takes things in stride. He doesn't really stress out about. He doesn't seem like he really um, he doesn't get stressed by the other horses around him that much, which I think is a really big key to a horse being able to go a distance. He has tactical speed, but without being um, kind of a go, go, go. I think blame on the bottom absolutely helps. Um, You know, violence, we never really got to see if he could get a mile and a quarter. But Dagledoro isn't exactly, oh, this horse definitely wants 10 furlongs. You know, that's probably a little more, I mean, he himself was a, could go 10 furlongs, but I feel like a lot of his offspring are probably better going 8-9. But um, I don't think that distinction between 9 and 10 is really that big of a deal, especially if you have a horse with the talent and the mind. So I'm not um, I'm not super concerned about Forte going 10 furlongs. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being a bit far for him. But I also, um, you know, if if you if you like him on Derby Day, don't. I wouldn't say, oh, no, he can't. There's no way he's going to get the distance either, you know. Understood. So let's switch gears a little bit. I, Japanese horse racing's come a long way. Breeding over there has come a long way in the last 30, 40 years. I'll look through, like, a, a, a sales catalog. Uh, I know they do that summer select sale in, uh, I can't remember if it's in Tokyo or, or it's somewhere in Japan. But anyway, that's beside the point. I see a lot of, uh, Chris, you see Sunday Silence in just about every pedigree over there. Mm-hmm. But you'll see a lot of like two by three or three by three breeding, inbreeding to Sunday Silence. That's pretty close. Is that, do you find that that's successful, inbreeding that close? Um, I prefer to keep inbreeding out of the first three generations. But, I mean, you just had Rich Strike, who was three by two to Smart Strike, win the Kentucky Derby. So, obviously, it can work and it does work. Um, it, it will work, but I think, um, I prefer kind of that deeper, um, line breeding where you have certain influences that are coming up multiple times in a pedigree, but in, you know, the fifth or sixth generation, um, even, and especially like inbreeding to really powerful female families, um, where you're getting, hopefully in theory, you're hopefully getting those same genes from those ancestors that are going to um, duplicate and you're going to end up with, you know, more um, likely to get those positive traits while still having enough um, hybridization going on where there are other lines coming in and you're not as likely to get the negative traits that uh, would appear in those lines. Okay. Like, I think the Sunday silence thing out there, uh, you know, the close inbreeding there, it could be a matter of necessity that most of their best horses just happen to have Sunday silence. Um, I just did a quick search, and three-by-three inbreeding to Sunday silence, according to Grade 1 Goldmine, produces 1.38% stakes winners from over 1,000 runners, which is not very good. Wow. Okay. So – looks like that in particular, that very specific inbreeding pattern doesn't really work that well. If you look like horses with Sunday Silence in the third generation on the top of their pedigree, it's 2.15% stakes winners. But if you have Sunday Silence in the third generation on the top and bottom, uh, it brings it down. So, okay. 
So in that particular case, it looks like it doesn't really work that well. But then there are other cases, other horses who, uh, you know, it seems like inbreeding to them might be a positive or at least not so much of a negative. Um, Arch comes to mind that it seems like Uncle Mo has done really well with Arch mares or mares carrying Arch, despite having him close up in his pedigree. So it's, uh, you know, it depends on the situation. Um, as a rule, I try to avoid uh, that close inbreeding in the first three generations, just because I think that it makes more sense to um, kind of keep the closer generations different. But, um, yeah, like Arch has grade one winner Bast out of a, I'm sorry, Uncle Mo has grade one winner Bast out of an Arch mare. He himself is out of an Arch mare. And he also has graded stakes winner on Vuitton um, out of a second dam by Arch, which he only has 10 runners with Arch. So it's a pretty good strike rate from a very small, um, you know, not necessarily statistically significant sample size. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at Rich Strike's pedigree right now. I I did not realize that he's three by two to Smart Strike. I, that never dawned on me. But Yeah, yeah that's, like, that's, that's a lot closer than I would have, uh, you know, ever advised. But it seems to have worked in this case. Wow, that's pretty cool. Okay, so the two-year-old races are getting ready to to gear up at Keeneland and elsewhere across the country. And, of course, uh, I think one of the cool things about following these two-year-olds early in the year, I like to see which uh, the the new, uh, what we call freshman sires or, or sires that have a first crop to race, I like to see, uh, I like to track those runners and, and see how they do. Uh, Jessica, give us some uh, sires that you're interested in this year. Yeah, so I think this year, this crop of freshman sires is really interesting because there is not a lot of precocity among most of these stallions um, whose first crops we're going to get this year. You have, like, um, some of the bigger ones would be, like, Catalina Cruiser. Um, Audible was a good three-year-old, but I don't believe – okay, he wanted to, but he wasn't a stakes winner until he was three – um, you know, you have Catholic boy, um, well, I'm scrolling now. Mitoli didn't really get good until he was four and people are really excited about his offspring, including me. Um, I really like that he's by a Scandarea. I think, um, the market gave up on a Scandarea way too soon. Um, so I'm glad he's kind of getting an air here, hopefully. Um, but as far as like who, Whose two-year-olds I think are going to come out running? I'm really interested. Um, I've already mentioned Flame Away. I I just really like Flame Away. I liked him as a racehorse. I love his mm-hmm. pedigree. Physically, he's a good-looking horse. Um, I think that the fact that he did have precocity, I think his foals are going to get that from him. Um, I think um, Maximus Mischief is um, kind of flying under the radar just a little bit. People are starting to talk about him, um, and I think. He's going to be one whose first foals probably come out running. Um, I'm curious to see how the Yoshida babies do, but I really uh, don't honestly have a lot of a lot of faith. I would love for them to come out running, and I would love to be wrong, but um, I'm just not sure if he's really going to fit with the American market. Um, I'm very excited about Vino Rosso, but he's another one who I'm not sure that his first foals are going to be you know, coming out as two-year-olds and running off the board, that he's kind of was more in the Curlin mold where he, he took time to come into his own and really get better. 
Uh, so really when it comes to the ones who are going to, I think are going to come out there, I'm really looking at uh, Flame Away and Maximus Mischief. Um, like maybe the Matoli is just because he had speed, but I, I don't know. I feel like they're going to be a little bit more um, developed with a little more time. So I'm very curious to see how this how this crop of freshmen plays out. Looking at, at I'm on the blood horse side right now. Looking at these uh, this list of horses, I see some some turf runners like uh, <clears throat> Demar Chelier. I think was a Peter Brandt horse that Chad Brown trained, and uh, the Visadero was a Buff Bradley horse that that won the uh, the Woodford Reserve Turf Classic. Yeah, I'd really uh, like to visit Darrow. Heart to Heart was a horse that I think he was a multiple grade one winner over several years. I mean, he he raced up until he was like seven or eight years old. What go back to visit Darrow? You, you, what do you think about his prospects? Oh, I love him. I think I think he's a great value. I think he's going to continue to be great value because even if he gets big horses, he's just not built in the mold of a horse that's going to really be that popular. But. Um, I love – he actually traces tail female to the um, Dam of Halo, and he also – his sire, Kitten's Joy, um, t- traces to that same family to a more distant ancestor from that same family. So I'm very curious to see how that does. I think um, Little Bluebird actually has a filly, a two-year-old filly by Divisadero that I'm very excited about. Uh, so that's uh, going to be exciting to see how she does. And I think that he's the kind of stallion who I could definitely see just being a really, really solid turf sire. Kind of horse that gets winners, gets stakes winners, probably doesn't get any, you know, blowout horses that wow people. And he becomes, you know, some, you know, $100,000 stallion or anything like that. But I think he's the kind of horse that are just going to get runners. Because he himself was just a runner for so long, so consistent, always came with his run. Stakes wins from ages three to seven. Kind of like a, a Temple City. Yeah, type, you know, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Holds his own. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like Temple City. Yeah, this is a great example. Just a stallion who he gets runners. Like if you want a horse that's going to run and is going to run on turf, you you can't really go wrong with him. And I could see Divisadero kind of coming into that same mold. Okay. Last question. Uh, this. First crop of uh, our sires that are entering stud. Uh, let's say you had a really nice mare and you wanted to breed at the top end of the market. Where would you look? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of choices this year for for uh, these uh, stallions just just starting their their career. Yeah, this is going to like the exact opposite of the the current year's freshman stallions, where this looks like it's going to be one of the strongest groups of stallions that we've had in a long time. I'm really excited for like a dozen of the stallions who's uh, just retired to stud this year. But I would have to go with Life is Good. He's actually another horse I highlighted on my blog. Um, and he comes from the the biggest uh, stallion family in the sport. This is the family. Uh, 13C is the family of Mr. Prospector, Seattle Slough, Elusive Quality and Quality Road, Forestry, Candy Ride, Bolt Oro. Like, this is just a stacked um, female family when it comes to producing stallions. I love that he's an into mischief, but he's not really built in the mold of every other into mischief. I would always forget that he was by into mischief looking at him. 
Um, I he has some really great influences on his damn side, like Distorted Humor, Mineshaft, Dixieland Band, Miswaki. So, um, and obviously his on track performance speaks for itself. He was absolutely brilliant. And uh, yeah, I think that I'd rather go to him for a hundred thousand than Flightline for two hundred thousand. Although, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Flightline. Flightline, I talked about him on my old blog a bit, and he's got a lot of interesting things going for him, too. But he just scares me a bit with his uh, lack of racing. That kind of puts me off just a little bit on him. But, and I mean, like, even under the radar, you know, horses like Happy Saver. um, I mean, Epicenter had tons of talent. It'll be really interesting to see how he does. I like Cyberknife. Um, he seemed was like a horse who got in his way mentally a lot, but um, had a lot of raw ability, and I really like his pedigree. Um, there's there's so many. <laughs> I'm very curious about Greatest Honor. He he was the kind of horse who um, I followed for a long time because he um, traces back to the mare better than Honor, who was the dam of um, Rags and Riches and Jazzle. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's – that's interesting there. He had a huge closing kick. Uh, we never, I don't think, got to see the best of him. So he's interesting as well. But, um, I mean, I didn't even mention Jackie's Warrior. Like, there's just, there's so much um, in this incoming class of stallions that it's it's really hard to separate them, in my opinion. I really think that most of those stallions, um, you know, are horses I would absolutely consider uh, for a client. That, I think you might have answered my next question. The, uh, if uh, you're a chump like me and you've got a really cheap mare and you can only afford maybe 10000 or less, you know, where would you go then? There's Because there's a uh, greatest honor would be one, I think. Yeah. Who, who else? Yeah, I, I like greatest honor. Um, let me pull it up really quick here. Uh, um, I'm kind of curious about Dennis's moment. On pedigree, I I just really like him. Um, I I like that he goes also back to that um, same family as um, Tappet, and he also is by Tisnow, whose um, grandsire relaunch is from that same family. Uh, he's like a real really cheap on you know if you were going for like a state bred that I think is kind of interesting. Other than him. And of course, um, greatest honor. Not a lot of the ones that are incoming this year really catch my eye at that price range. Maybe Snapper Sinclair for a New York bred. He was just a, a really cool, always going type of horse. That kind of horse who will probably give speed to his offspring as well as he had longevity. So. He would be an interesting one if you're looking just to get a racehorse. I think Snapper Sinclair might be one to look at. Uh, okay, I've got to ask you about this. Sorry. Uh, Nashville is is one I'm very interested in to see how he'll do. The horse was very ouchy, but he was brilliant when he was good. What, what do you think about a, a stallion like Nashville, even though, you know, the brilliance along with the with the uh the, the just the, the injuries and whatnot. Yeah, he's he's interesting. I've I've looked at him um for some breedings for clients and talked about him a bit. Um his second dam is actually a full sister to Giacomo. So that's a um 
a good thing for him and showing that strong female line. I also really like the presence of Mizzenmast on the bottom. I, he's just a kind of stallion that I would just really like to see. I He's good, but I, I can't really explain exactly why. He's just gut. I really like Mizzenmast. And obviously, we know Spitestown can get a stallion. Like, Munnings is a superstar right now. And um, so I definitely, you know, if you have a really sound mare, I think Nashville, I think that's kind of the the key with Nashville is that you have, if you have a mare who was also a little, had some soundness issues and some iffy issues, then I would stay away from him. But if you have like a, just a mare who was really sound, um, I would not hesitate to send a mare to him because like you said, he just, he had brilliance when he was right. And uh, he has the pedigree to back it up as well to suggest that he could pass something on something of that on to his offspring. Okay. I'm about to put an exclamation point on this because this is, uh, this is way too fascinating. I could go all night talking about this, but I know, I know you've got other things to do <laughs> other than talk to us, but man, this has been great. So, uh, uh, we'll wrap it up here. Of course, we've been talking to Jessica Tugwell and I, I would, uh, follow her on Twitter for sure. She's, she's got a fascinating Twitter feed and just, uh, check out Hawkstone Bloodstock and, 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 Little bluebird racing and, and all of that. That's, uh, Jessica, this is, uh, this has been great. Uh, I appreciate your time and, uh, hopefully we can have you on again. Maybe we can have you on around the time of the Belmont stakes. Maybe we can talk about which of these runners can get 12 furlongs. Good that, idea. Yeah. That I think that's, be, that's definitely, that would be a fun conversation. I'd love to come back. This has been a lot of fun. All right. So this is Jessica Tugwell and, and Jessica, thank you very much and, uh, and good luck. Good luck with all your ventures going forward. Thank you so much. Thanks. She actually dropped some knowledge on us. I, I actually learned a little bit. I, I do know that I do not have the mitochondrial gene that converts food into energy. It does, it does convert food into fat. And I, I have, I have three or four of those genes. You know, uh, I could tell that as we're talking that you were a fan. I could, I could tell you were fanboying a little bit. I know you're, you're a pet, you're a pedigree guy. And I, I, I could I could hear the fanboy in your voice, and I don't see how you couldn't because, like we we, we talked about, Jessica reminds me a bit of Ashley Mayu. I, I think she's got a bright bright future in the game. And uh, would it be safe to say that you are fanboying? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember my uh, my first foray into pedigrees. I picked up a sales catalog in the for the 1990 Keeneland Summer Sale. And picked out, uh, there's a pedigree in there as a as son of AP, excuse me, son of, uh, I gave the name away. Seattle's flew out of a half sister to Summer Squall. Mm-hmm. And of course the horse went on to be AP Indy. They, they paid $2.9 million for him. But that, man, that, that summer sales pedigree or, or catalog was just unbelievable. I mean, it's just all, all kinds of superstars, you know, and it, you learn a lot just going through catalogs. Over the years, I, I love doing that. But I was going to throw a name out, and I, I didn't get to it because we ran a little long. But uh, Hijazi, who is running in the San Felipe for uh, the, the name skips me, the gentleman that won the uh, the Derby with Medina Spirit, that was Zadon Zadon Racing. Uh, he's got Hijazi running. This horse traces back. If you go, let's see, one, two, three. Four generations. This is a, a sire you never see in a pedigree anymore. Spend a buck. 
Yes. Spindabug was not a very good sire. I don't, I think he might have, I think he sired Einstein for Helen Pitts several I years think ago. You might be right, yeah. And, uh, yeah, this, this is the fourth and fourth generation Spindabuck out of Auspiciante, and they produced a mare named Anti-Spind, who was really good on the turf. I remember her back in the day. And Anti-Spind would be in the third generation. So if things don't work out for Hajazi, that he can always run on turf, I would think. But that's, uh, I thought that was interesting. Spindabuck, probably one of the most dominating Kentucky Derby winners in our lifetime. But, uh, yeah, he, he couldn't reproduce himself on the racetrack in the breeding shed, I should say. From New Jersey, Cam Gambolotti. That was the year. You remember this? This is a little bit before my time, but, uh, the guy that owned, was it Garden State Park? Yes. The, the, uh, he, the double, he put, the, uh, the bonus. He put up a bonus for, I think it was any, I can't remember the races, the Cherry Hill Mile, maybe. Jersey Derby. The Garden State Stakes, and then the Der- Kentucky Derby. And Spindabuck, I think, won all those, maybe. And Spindabuck, he gave up, he put up $2 million if Spindabuck would run on, in the Jersey Derby. And it was about, it was maybe a week after the Preakness. And his goal, this guy's goal was to, uh, he was going to supplant the Preakness. Mm-hmm, I remember. And, yeah, and it, it was going to be, you know, that was going to be the second jewel of the Triple Crown. Now, the guy, Folded shop. I think I can't remember the guy's name. Brennan, Robert Brennan, maybe. I remember the the details, but I don't remember the guy's name. No, yeah, I remember the deets real well. It was a boy. I mean, he he lured Spindabuck. It was a big deal back in the day that Spindabuck, you know, skipped the Preakness to go in this Jersey Derby, and he don't think he ran the Belmont either. So that was a that was a hell of a horse. I think that was a ten furlongs that race, and and Spindabuck took pressure the whole way. It's on YouTube somewhere. And yeah, it was reminiscent of Holy Bulls Travers, uh, where he was pressured the whole way and, and held on at the end. So yeah, go go watch Spindabuck's uh, Jersey Derby, nineteen eighty five. That's yes. uh, that's your homework this week. I've seen it. So all right, that's all I've got. We've gone. We're this is uh, we're an hour three of this podcast. Okay, but yeah, again, when you're fanboying, it's okay, right? It's okay. Right. Yeah, All right. It's our podcast. We can do whatever. That's we want. right. We do what we want, right? Right. That's right. the way it oh. goes. All right. So we'll end it right here. On behalf of Jessica Tugwell and, of course, Brandon Jaggers, who left early, and of course, Alan Schneider, I'm CC Broadus reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home.